welcome. I'm so glad that you are a part of this online service. And also, I'm grateful for your involvement in the teaching series, Moving Beyond the Faint Heart. We all know the experience of fear, feeling weary inside and, and having discouragement to push us back. I believe Paul had in mind discouragement when he said, we do not lose heart. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, almost like narratival bookends or literary bookends, Paul said in verse 1, we do not lose heart. Again, in verse 16 of the same chapter, he said, we do not lose heart. That, that old word, ekakeo, meaning an inward weariness that affects us outwardly. And Paul wrote then that which stands for us now, we do not lose heart. We do not give up. We do not grow weary. Now, when you hear that, you may be like I am at times and will say, well, I know there are times I am weary. I know that there are times I am discouraged. So the emphasis of this teaching series is to move through those discouragements. We obviously cannot move around certain discouragements, nor can we pretend that the discouragement is not there, but we can move beyond them. And 2 Corinthians 4 gives us some incredible ways that we can move beyond discouragement. We're in part five, and I'd like to share something with you from the world of sports, particularly auto racing. Now, Sports History Weekly interviewed Mario Andretti in 2020. And in 2020, I, I don't think this has changed, he was the only race car driver to win a Daytona 500, an Indianapolis 500, and a Formula One World Championship. So an amazing career. And when he was interviewed about how he uh, controlled and disciplined his reaction in all of those driving scenarios, which, by the way, are extremely dangerous sports, uh, he made this comment. He said, well, it does require fearlessness and keen reaction and judgment and strategy. But he said, most importantly, what it requires is a burning desire. He then said, you can have all the other ingredients for a championship, fearlessness and reaction and judgment, but if you do not have a burning desire, you will not be distracted from fear. And I love that statement. Unless there is a passion, fear can always push us back. And when I hear that story, I'm reminded of, of Paul's life and the human context of that first century beloved pastor Paul uh, all through 2 Corinthians 4. Over and over again, you see these uh, statements that would reflect discouragement and weariness and even fearfulness, but Paul did not cave. He did not give in to those distractions. Why? Because as you remember from the last two uh, teachings, uh, Paul was focused on the glory of Christ. He had a passion for that deeper knowledge and that deeper spiritual understanding of the glory of Christ that was manifested in his personal relationship with Jesus. Paul stayed the course because of his passionate desire to, uh, to chase after Christ and to follow after Christ. So to the point that we now come uh, down into 2 Corinthians 4 to verse 7. And we, we encounter part 5 of our teaching series that leads us to a recognition of the power of God. 
What is another way, a fifth way that we can overcome discouragement in our lives? By recognizing the power of God. Now, we could just say by the power of God. But there are times when we know that God is powerful over all of our discouragements, yet we still fall under the discouragement and the fear. But with our passion and desire for seeking after Christ, recognizing the power of God opens our hearts so that his power is truly manifested in our lives. So welcome to part five and this recognition of the power of God that personally will move us beyond discouragement. And we've we've worked our way down into Second Corinthians four to verse five. And in verse excuse me, verse seven. And in verse seven we read these words. But we have this treasure. Now notice real quickly uh, this uh, conjunction, this connector here, uh, literally speaking, uh, but we have indicating the truth that came before, the truth of verse six, which reminds us that we have the light of the glory of God. We have the knowledge of the glory of God in Christ in our lives. And that glory uh, back in verse three and four was a representation of the light of the gospel, the, the illumination of our hearts spiritually from the darkness of sin to know the glory of Christ becomes something that only God can do for us through his grace. And we have this treasure. So now you know what preceded defines what we read at the present. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that his all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So for just a moment, I'd like to share with you three resolves to move past your present discouragement. And we see these resolves right here in the passage before us. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show the all-surpassing power of God in our lives. So let me point the three resolves out in the verse, and then we'll unpack these so that we can apply them to our lives. What are the resolves? Well, the resolves have to do with a treasure that is in a jar of clay so that we can see the power of God. So the resolves are jars of clay, our own our own limitedness and weakness. A second resolve, the treasure, although in our own limited and weakness, we are we are very hindered by distractions and discouragements. We have the treasure, the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus in us. We have the presence of Jesus working in our lives. And then there's the resolve of the power of God. Why do we have the power of God? Because only through the power of God can these weak, tre- these weak vessels truly display the treasure of the gospel. And so I'd like to now uh, dig a bit deeper into these three resolves, the three resolves that move you past your discouragement. Well, first is the resolve of weakness. Now, that doesn't really sound like a strong, confident way to move beyond discouragements. But but uh, consider all three of these resolves together. The first resolve would be our weakness. This is what we're told. There is a treasure in jars of clay. The first resolve, weakness, actually references Paul's phrase, jars of clay. Now, the apostle, Paul, first century pastor, beloved missionary, church planner, 
a real person at a real time in history was given by the Spirit of God real words to write epistolary, to write a real letter in correspondence to a particular people, the church at Corinth. Of the church, there were some who were Paul's opponents. They attempted to discredit his role as a leader, as an apostle, as a pastor. But there were also those in the Corinthian congregation who truly loved Jesus and and were strongly uh, supporting Paul and, and hearing God's word through Paul. And so Paul reminded them first that we are all, as he uses that third person plural, we're jars of clay. We have treasures in jars of of clay. So he's describing in the plural many jars, the Corinthian Christians who are truly seeking Jesus. And we're all referenced as jars of clay. Now, other translations would render we are earthen vessels. In the ancient world, uh, the common utensil or container would have been the earthen vessel, the, the vessel that was an earthenware made particularly out of pottery, out of clay. Now such vessels were used for storage, for, for eating and drinking, and certainly for cooking. There were even uh, earthen vessels made out of clay, pottery, uh, that were used for collections, for temple treasury. Uh, even in some archaeological finds, uh, there will be uh, an enormous amount of these types of vessels discovered. Even in many burial places, these earthen vessels were found later on through archaeological digs to signify that, that uh, depending upon specific uh, pagan traditions, there were many who were buried with earthen, earthen vessels so that they can take their treasures to another place. But the, the emphasis of the history of the scripture indicates that earthen vessels were very, very common as they were vessels made of pottery, made of clay, used in every walk of life. So Paul said, we are jars of clay, we're earthen vessels. And without any stretch of the imagination, all of Paul's hearers would have leaned in to know that he's describing something that is very common, very ordinary, and very transitory. Very fragile would be the indication in most minds when they heard the phrase, earthen vessel. So Paul emphasized through this metaphor of the earthen vessel, the, the mortality of the human life, the human body, the the humanness and the limited physicality of humans becomes the pronouncement in the phrase jars of clays. And the indication would reference weakness. Also, the idea of jars or containers concerning a vessel would reference how something is used and used well. So let's not just assume that the jars of clays is a reference to mortality or the fragility of human life, although that reference is very significant. But the reference is also to well-used vessels. So even though the vessels are weak, fragile, ordinary and transitory, meaning they're here one day and gone the next, the vessels are still used. And all of this becomes the, the collected uh, expression of, of the meaning of jars of clay. So the emphasis would be upon the fact that although God is active in our lives. Our physical bodies, 
like those earthen vessels will will grow tired and weak and weary and yes discouraged and so the first resolve that we must make so that we can better embrace the power of god active in our lives is to is to admit yes we're limited Yes, we're weak. Yes, we are fragile. Yes, we are susceptible to many, many forms of discouragement in our lives. Uh, But let's move to a second resolve. The first is weakness. We're jars of clay. But the second resolve would be the treasure. Paul wrote, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Now, as said earlier, in the contextual flow of 2 Corinthians 4, Verse 7, we have a treasure. Uh, references uh, verse 6, we have, we have the knowledge. We have God shining his light of understanding and spiritual illumination in our hearts concerning the knowledge of Jesus Christ. This is to emphasize that the treasure references Jesus without a doubt, but the treasure also references the the illumination of our understanding of the fullness of God in Christ. So the treasure doesn't just reference someone who may have a cerebral embrace of Jesus, a a mental understanding, if you will. Uh, Treasure actually represents the very presence of Jesus in our lives through the abiding Holy Spirit. And so the treasure represents the fulfillment of the gospel, Jesus himself, in the lives of those who have trusted in him, the very abiding presence of the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ within us. This becomes the treasure. And so concerning this resolve, will you first realize the treasure? Realize the presence of God in our lives. Realize that this treasure references the light of the glory of God in Christ. My mind shifts to Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, wherein we are told that we shine as luminaries. That very verse reads in a Greek term that indicates luminaries are more practically stars. God's created order, his celestial creation of sun, moon, and stars becomes the analogous reference in those words in Philippians 2.15. We shine as luminaries. The celestial creation shined for the benefit of God's creation, not for the benefit of themselves. And that shining was a reflection of the creative power of God. Also, we as Christians, we shine for the benefit of someone other than ourselves. We shine for the benefit of God's glory in Christ and for the benefit of of the world that lives in darkness, we shine as luminaries. We shine as a reflection of the glory of God in the face of Christ, which has been made known to us as we've been given the knowledge of the glory of Christ. More on the knowledge of the glory of Christ can be understood in the message uh, that was preached uh, last week in the previous teaching series episodes. I encourage you to go back there to be reminded of the of the power of the knowledge of the glory of Christ that's been manifested in our lives. Because of that reality, we need to realize the treasure. We shine as luminaries. We are are 
giving. We are light. Jesus said in Matthew 5, not only that we are salt, but we are light so that people can see our lives and glorify the good works of the Father in heaven. We are luminaries and we shine. So yes, we, we are weak vessels in the, in the expression and value of our physicality, even in our mortality. We are limited and, and we can grow tired, weary. We can grow sick. We can, we can succumb to disease in our lives, but nothing of that earthenness changes the fact that for a follower of Jesus, you have a treasure in you. The very presence of Christ is living inside of you and is shining out through you. Have you paused to realize that your words and your attitude and your actions become limited when you forget that you're a luminary for the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus, the light, the phos in the Greek, the life-giving light radiates to, through you spiritually and supernaturally because of the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of you. The very presence of Christ dwells in you and shines through you. And if we use dark words and have dark thoughts and, and our actions are dark, meaning they resemble more of the darkness than the light, then we are, we are not being luminaries. And that becomes a very convicting note uh, in, the, in the song of our, of our lives. If, if God is convicting us that our actions are, are more negative and dark than they are expressing his light, the light of Jesus. So remember the treasure, resolve the treasure by first realizing the treasure, the, the presence of Jesus shining through you as a luminary. But secondly, do not simply realize the treasure, respond to the treasure. In John 12, 36, uh, we're called sons of light if we trust Jesus. In Ephesians 5, verse 8, we are called to walk as children of light. And the term walk, particularly in the epistles, indicates how we live, one's lifestyle, one's day-to-day -day movement in his or her life. We are to live daily as children of the light. We've been brought from a domain of darkness, Colossians 1.13 says, and we've been brought into the kingdom of, of the son that God loves. We've been brought into the kingdom of light from the domain of darkness, and we are now children of light. God has begotten us as his children. He has brought us, adopted us, as there is only one true begotten, but God has adopted us into his family through the gospel, the light of Jesus, which has dawned in our hearts and has shown us our need for Jesus and, and the darkness of our brokenness. And we've said, yes, Jesus, and we've become children of light, according to the scriptures. And Ephesians 5, 8 tells us to walk, to live as children of light. That same verse, Ephesians 5, 8, also reminds us that there is the fruit of the light within us, meaning all the goodness that comes through Christ within us. So we uh, are to not only realize the, the treasure, but we are to respond to the treasure. The treasure is the light, Jesus Christ in us. And we are to realize and to respond to the treasure. Another way we respond to the treasure is to take truths to heart, like those we find in 1 Thessalonians 2, 4, which reminds us that we have been entrusted with, 
with the gospel. Now, I know you may think that only preachers and missionaries and Bible teachers and maybe Bible scholars are entrusted with the truth of God, the gospel. But according to the scripture, again, First Thessalonians, we are, we are reminded that everyone whose faith is in Christ has been entrusted with the gospel. First Thessalonians 2.4. We are bearers of the light. And that term entrusted indicates one who has become trustworthy or one who is found faithful. So may we be found faithful as we resolve the treasure Christ in us as we live out his light before a dark world. Now we had the first resolve, as you remember, we are vessels, jars of clay, weakness, but then we resolve that there is a treasure in us. And then we depend upon, yes, the power of God. This becomes our third resolve, the power of God. We have treasures in jars of clay. Why? To show the power of God, as stated here in verse seven, to show his power. Now, I love that statement. We now know the reason for the treasure manifested in our fallible vessels. We now know the purpose of the paradox. Do you see the paradox? Uh, the treasure of heaven in jars of clay. And the reason is to demonstrate God's power. Oh, his amazing power that brings Christ to us through his grace and mercy through the cross of Jesus and the resurrection, Christ uh, lives in us. And so all oh, our trials are indeed momentary. Our discouragements should be passing discouragements. Not that they're not real. They're very real. Not that they're not painful. Our discouragements can, can bring great pain to our hearts, but, but our discouragements should be passing. Our trials should be momentary because the power of God rests within us. The power of God works in us because the treasure exists in jars of clay and we resolve that the power of God has made this so. Yes, our lives are, are limited and our lives can become discouraged and we can have what Paul said in Romans chapter 12, that thorn. Paul asked God to take that thorn in the flesh away, that messenger from the devil that Paul referenced. But in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul said that this was God's word to him when he said, God, may this oppressiveness be taken from me, this thorn in the flesh, this messenger from the devil that has tempted to discourage me and, and attempted to push me back to inactivity with the gospel, Paul write, God, take that from me. But then Paul said, God's response was, my grace is sufficient for you. Why would he say that? Why would God say that to Paul who was fighting against discouragement? Because God then said, power is made perfect in weakness. God was not just simply giving Paul a word to encourage him. God was giving Paul 
one of God's laws, one of his laws of, of, of his presence in our life. And, you know, we, we, we have the, the law of sowing and reaping that becomes a spiritual law in the lives of, 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 of God's creation. But, but there is a spiritual law here. My grace is sufficient for you because power is made perfect in weakness. When you are weak, then you are strong because in your weakness, in your clay jarness, you can recognize, God, I need you. I'm desperate for you in my life. I'm dependent upon you. And oh, God will proclaim my, my power is made perfect in your weakness. You understand then if someone's attempting something, they can do themselves. They will by their own innate humanness, not depend upon God. If you can attempt something that you can accomplish in your own strength, then the likeliness of you who uh, taking credit or focusing on self is high. The, the, the call to give God glory might be more highly unlikely if you attempt something you can do and you see that you're accomplishing that yourself. Paul found himself many times in situations where he was, was, was overcome with, with uh, attacks and, and physically and mentally there were uh, uh, people coming against him and, and Paul felt weak. He felt at times on the verge of giving up and being discouraged. But then he said, God spoke to me. My grace is sufficient for you. And then here's one of God's spiritual laws. Power is made perfect in weakness. My power becomes manifested as you recognize your, your fallibility as a earthen vessel. And as you truly depend upon me, God said to Paul. And God says that same strong word to you and to me today. His power is made perfect in our weaknesses. That is why we resolve our weaknesses, but that God's treasure, Jesus Christ, the light of Christ is in us. And we resolve that his power is manifested in us. And so, wow, we, we can take those resolves and move past discouragement because our discouragement will say you can't. Our discouragement will say your life is over. Our discouragement will say you're ineffective. Our discouragement will say you're not making a difference. Our discouragement will say you're wasting your time, dear servant of the Lord. Our discouragement will say no one is supporting you. Our discouragement will say you are not going to be successful in your endeavors for the Lord. Our discouragements can be fierce and ferocious. But when we resolve that although we are earthen vessels, treasure of the gospel is in us and God's power will perfect that, then we can look at our discouragement as something to disregard, not something that would debilitate. And we can move on past discouragement because our weakness points to the treasure in us, which reveals the power of God working in us. I remember once on a mission endeavor to India, one of the many that God's blessed me to take. I was there uh, with our oldest daughter who was then probably 10 or 11 years of age. And we were there during a Christmas celebration. I remember having a mission team with me of around 20 to 25 college students. And we had many activities for about 10 days. I had been there before and none of the events were that new to me, but there was something new that happened. I began to lose my voice. This had never happened in any ministry setting, particularly in India. But there I was, team leader, and I was also doing some teaching at a Bible school and doing a lot of speaking. And 
my voice began to fade. It was happening early on a particular morning that I was to speak that evening. I tried to nurse it a bit and tried to speak as less as possible throughout the day. Uh, but that night came and, and when the uh, beginning portion of that outdoor service was over, right at Christmas time, I stood to speak. The courtyard outside of the ministry where we were engaged with was filled with people. And this was an amazing time of worship. And I was, during the time of singing, I was uh, moving my lips but not singing to preserve my throat. So I felt confident that my voice would be intact so that I could speak. I stood up in front of the microphone to speak. And I thought maybe my words would come out stronger than they did. But all that I could muster was a whisper. And I, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. I was giving it everything that I could from my heart with the word that I felt God had me prepare for that evening. And this was going to be an, a, an amazing time of the gospel going out over the ears of many. We were even amplified beyond the walls of the ministry compound we were in to the entire neighborhood. And we, we were so excited about the gospel going out and I could not speak above a whisper. So my opening words were a struggling mess of pronouncements that our interpreter was attempting to identify. And the more that I spoke, the weaker my voice came. So I moved into the microphone. And by now, I almost had the microphone almost inside my mouth as I'm trying to, to amplify my words. But I grew weaker and weaker I couldn't follow the notes well. My interpreter was attempting to hear what I was saying because his amplification was great. So I struggled and I struggled and the words were few and I became exhausted and, and confession. I became discouraged. I thought, why all of the preparation that built up for a whole week for me to give whispers that the interpreter found confusing and possibly limited the message going out. So the, the time of teaching was shorter than, than desired by any of us. And I finally whispered a prayer, closed the scripture, stepped down, feeling so defeated until the uh, pastor came up, offered in the, in the language of those that were there a simple invitation. And many people came forward. Many responded. Many Christians were encouraged. There were several who came to a, a, a faith in Christ because the gospel. And it certainly wasn't because of this earthen vessel. It was because although there was weakness, I had to resolve, hey, I'm just a weak vessel with a voice that really can't work right now. But there was a treasure that was inside that I could reference and the power of God took over. And oh, what an amazing experience I witnessed because of these resolves. So I am telling you from the scripture, from my experience with the word, and also from my experience in real life, you do not have to stay discouraged. Even when you think it's not working, stay resolved that you are weak, that the treasure is in you through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, and God's power will work through you regardless of how you may feel as an earthen vessel. So I love telling that story because it truly uh, exemplifies these resolves and praise God for what he did. Uh, you can see through the description of that story, it was nothing of me. It was all the power of God. That is how you move past 
discouragement. I pray you'll make these resolves. There is an outcome that takes place. There is a result when these resolves are real in our lives. And I close with this, uh, with this list of results that comes from uh, verse 8 and verse 9. Uh, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not despaired. We're persecuted, not abandoned. We're struck down, not destroyed. Paul listed these antithetical statements, these opposing statements to show four definite results. And here they are. We are hard pressed, but we're not crushed. These words are descriptive of, of, of the gladiatorial um, activity in Paul's days. Those gladiators who fought and those military exploits of the military presence of Paul's day all become personified in these words. These are words that a gladiator and a, and a military personnel would understand. Paul wrote, hey, spiritually, because of our earthenness, our vessel-like life, but because of the treasure in us uh, and, and because of the power of God, we're hard-pressed. This indicates in those gladiator and military terms that we are being pressed into a corner but we're not crushed. This indicates we are not where we can't move. There is a way out. And so one result of those resolves we looked at would be that although we feel like at times we're being pressed into a corner, you will never, ever be absent of a way out. You will not be crushed in the corner becomes the real language here. Because God is making a way out for you. Don't be discouraged when you feel pressed in a corner. Don't try to fight your own way out. God will not allow you to be crushed. He will provide a way out. We're hard pressed, but we're not crushed. Result number two, we're persecuted or we're perplexed, but we're not in despair. This indicates we are at times absent of what to do. Our knowledge and our insight seems absent of any good response to make from the discouragement or the challenge, but we're not in despair. This simply indicates an answer will come. We may feel that all is lost, but really nothing is lost. We may feel there is no answer, perplexed, but we're not in despair. An answer is coming. So maybe you're praying and you're seeking a way out of a dilemma and you think there's no way out. I can't make sense of this. You do not need to come up with your own solution. God will come in. He will give an answer. He will make a way out. We're perplexed. Yes, that's going to be a real uh, event in our lives, but we're not in despair. You will never be absent of an answer. God will come through. So a second result, we're perplexed, but not despair. Here's a third result. We're persecuted, but we are not abandoned. Straight from the scripture, persecuted, not abandoned. The term persecuted means we are hounded by the enemy. We are hounded by all of the distractions in our lives. This is a powerful word, a very, a very discouraging word if we take it at its value, which indicates we are truly being hounded by one who opposes us, but we will never be abandoned. I love that this actually indicates we will never be grounded, meaning we will never be left laid flat. We may be, 
We may be beaten down by the enemy that hounds us, but we will always have the strength to get up. Now, this is not just a pep talk. This, these are not um, statements made from the sports world to say, hey, when you knock down, get back up. This is the Holy Spirit of God, God himself saying, you will be hounded by the enemy. You will feel knocked down, but you will not truly be on the ground. I will lift you up. That becomes the result of those resolves of an earthen vessel with the treasure and the power of God. And then finally, we're struck down, but we are not destroyed. We're, we're at times feeling as if we're leveled, but we are not ever given a final blow. Please hear this. If your faith is in Christ, you will never be given a final blow. Even death is not a final blow. Scripture tells us in Psalm 23, death is just a shadow. A final blow will never come. Many of us think so. Discouragement can cause us to think, hey, it's all, it's all over. <laughs> There's no hope. No, you'll be struck down. You will feel as if you're beaten down, but you will never be given a, a blow that ends you. And that's obvious. God has you in Christ. These are the results of one who has resolved that we are earthen vessels, but the treasure is in us and the power of God is always at work in our lives. That's how you move beyond the faint heart. You're an earthen vessel with a treasure that demonstrates the power of God. So while you may be struck down, you will never be destroyed. Be encouraged by this. This becomes an amazing reminder of how God leads us forward. He encourages us. He shows us the way. He can be trusted. I remember several years ago driving with my family to South Texas to participate uh, through an invitation on a large ranch to do some hunting around Thanksgiving. And at that time, there were four of us and our older girls were very young. And off we went driving to this ranch in South Texas. I'd never been there. And because this huge ranch was located so remotely out in the middle of a large, vast sum of land with, with very limited roads leading in and out, I was a bit nervous on how to arrive at our destination. But I had the invitation. And the invitation said, come. And then our friends who were wonderful hosts that invited us gave me specific directions on how to arrive. GPS was not helping because this was a very remote location. So I had to look at the written descriptions of how to arrive safely at our destination. There were times that I would turn based on the number of miles I'd travel from the last turn. And when I would turn, the road would seem small. Thankfully, we had a, a, a vehicle that was built up. The road would seem small and, and, and very obscure. At times, the road would turn and I could barely see the ruts in the, in the dim light of dusk that was settling. And at times when I would turn, everyone in the car would say, Dad, that's the wrong way. I can look and tell this road doesn't look good. You're going the wrong way. And all that I could say would be, I'm following the instructions of those who love us and are waiting on us. I'm just following these instructions. And then the road would turn a bit more. And then as it would grow darker, you would see animals running across the, the, the road. And, and we're looking at each other. I'm looking at my wife. She's looking at me. We've never traveled this way before. This doesn't look right. But I'm going to follow the instructions. And eventually, I'll never forget how beautiful 
the site of the ranch was when we made our one last drive down into this bottom and our, our little four-wheel drive SUV was spinning and sliding and we finally came up to the crest of this road and we looked and we saw the ranch and we saw the, the vegetation, the dryness of our travel was over. We were finally at the ranch. The lights were on. People were there who loved us and they were welcoming us. And what a joy it was to arrive. And I think about that trip when I review these words in my life that we're pressed but not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not despairing. There are times you will say, this direction that I feel God is leading me on doesn't look right, doesn't feel right. The road seems oddly twisted and turned. There are distractions running in front of us. The light seems to be fading. And there are times when you may be tempted to say, let's turn around and go back. This doesn't seem the right way. Please continue following the instructions of the one who loves you and has gone before you and is waiting for you at the next place in life where he desires you to be in his will. Don't become discouraged. Move beyond that discouragement, beyond the faint heart, knowing that you may be perplexed, but not in despair. You may be struck down, but not destroyed. Why? Because although our vessels are earthen, they're jars of clay, there's a treasure inside, and the power of God is at work in us. How do we move beyond the faint heart? The fifth way we move is by the power of God. Thanks for showing us or showing up and being a part of, of this time of study together. And I'm grateful God has shown us again another way to move beyond our discouragement. His power is at work in you, regardless of the limitations you see in you and around you. Trust Him. Trust the, the, the treasure in you. Trust His power. We are perplexed but not despair. We're struck down but not destroyed. Why? God is with us. He's written the instructions. We're following Him. Let's stay true to that truth. Love you a lot. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for speaking to us. Guide us on for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. And together we said, Amen. Hey, you know what I say every week. There's a location here on our website, slash more. Do you want to learn more? Yes, come check out uh, some things that we have waiting on you. We'd love to dialogue with you through our website. We'd love to reach out to you and encourage you in your faith. Thank you for being a part of this day of worship. Love you a lot. See you soon. Do not be discouraged. God bless.